Welcome to Read by Example, where teachers are leaders and leaders know literacy. That tagline is from Reggie Routman's book, Read, Write, Lead. And I find that line especially appropriate for our conversation today. Our special guest is Hannah Schneewind, and she is the co-author, along with Jennifer Scoggins, of Trusting Readers, Powerful Practices for Independent Reading uh, through Heinemann. And reading the bio in the back of the book, which is right here. Uh, Hannah Schneeman has been a teacher, staff developer, curriculum writer, keynote speaker, and national literacy consultant. Hannah's interest in student and teacher agency and her belief in the power of books informs her work with schools. Together, Jen and Hannah are the co-creators of Trusting Readers, a group dedicated to collaborating with teachers to design literacy opportunities that invite all students to be engaged and thrive as readers and writers. Welcome, Hannah. Great, thank you so much for having me. And I know that Jen is sorry that she's not here. Uh, she's traveling at the moment. So you will have just me, I'm afraid. We are delighted to have you. And we have another guest with us, Mary Beth Nicholas, um, Wisconsinite, now living in Minnesota, working at an alternative school, secondary level, has been worked with intervention students at the secondary level and brings a, a neat perspective as well to trusting readers, um, especially after that elementary experience. So with that, um, I have three questions I was going to pose to Hannah, but um, take the take the direction wherever you want it to go. And again, our intentions for this conversation are just to build knowledge and awareness around this topic uh, and to practice coaching skills while engaging in conversation around professional topics. So really trying to serve as a model for any leader of any position, how you might um, co-create knowledge together instead of um, living in uh, sometimes these echo chambers we see in education. Uh, my first goal is for Hannah, just what is the goal of independent reading and why does this goal so often get lost in instruction? So the first thing I would say is that the goal of independent reading is for students to become really skilled and proficient readers. And being proficient includes being skillful with decoding, fluency, and comprehension. So the reason I think it's really important to start with that is that too often independent reading is seen as this kind of fluffy thing or it's an add-on, or it's a thing that you do for 10 minutes at the end of the day, if you have time. And so I just want to start by saying, no, this, you know, this is a serious teaching and learning time. So I would say that, you know, that's the big goal. And then within that goal, of course, we have lots of other things, right? We want kids to find joy in read reading. We want them to have books that they connect with with. We want them to find books where they can make meaning and then really are motivated to take some kind of action after their reading. Um, I'll tell you though, I won't say that the goal of independent reading is to make students love reading. Because I think when we say that, number one, we do ourselves a disservice as professionals because that seems kind of fluffy. And number two, I actually can't do that. 
That is to say, I can set up the condition, you know, I can give you lots of choice and I can give you the right feedback at the right time and I can give you lots of time to read. I can set up the conditions for you to love reading, but I can't actually make you love reading. So I think, you know, that's something I, I have thought a lot about. So I no longer say, oh, the goal is for all of them to love reading. They might or they might not. Um, so, and then in terms of why does it get lost? I think it gets lost for a few reasons. I think it gets lost, number one, when it is not in fact the focus of reading instruction. You know, when it becomes something to do at the end of the day. Or it sometimes gets lost because the teacher is trying to also uh, work with small groups, let's say, and independent reading is something that the students can in fact do independently that she knows is gonna be really impactful. And so she ends up doing small group instruction during that time and does not confer with kids. And independent reading without conferring is not actually independent reading. That's just giving kids books and letting them read. So I think those are two very different things. That's very helpful for me. I, my, especially the uh, comment about make, you cannot make kids love reading. I, it almost seems kind of refreshing that I can kind of take that part off of my responsibility and not that I'm not responsible for the conditions, but um, puts more of the onus on that part of a reading reading life on the kids and I think I think kids would rise to that um trust which comes back to your book title trusting readers mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I mean I for example in high school I became skillful at biology right I had a very good teacher I did all my homework I never loved biology I did not decide to become a scientist you know so much as we hope that kids will love reading, I do think that we can separate um, being skilled at reading from necessarily the love of it. Mm -hmm. um, with one important caveat, which is, um, and Mary Beth, maybe you've seen this with older students, I have talked to older readers who are very proficient readers and actively hate reading. You know, there are kids who think reading is boring. I have to do it. You know, my teacher makes me write a certain number of post-its or I have to write in this reading log. Um, so when I say we can't make kids love it, that's true. <laughs> However, <laughs> we don't want to be setting them up to hate it either, which sometimes people inadvertently do. Well, that um, comes into the next question I had, and uh, you noted on page one, Hannah, that the number one obstacle for teachers trying to increase independent reading time to be able to confer with students to support them in being independent is the demands of the literacy curriculum. Um, you know, but at the same time, you do share ways to prioritize independent reading that can be that can exist alongside a curriculum resource. So. Um, I, I guess the connection here is I've heard teachers say, I just don't have time to meet with all my kids, you know, mm. and because of the resource, because of this, or because I can't meet with small groups, um, there's, there's just too many things to do. But uh, what have you found that teachers have done to make better use of their time to increase independent reading? Because I do think there are opportunities that teachers don't always see mm -hmm. to be able to 
support kids at that level of independence? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think there are two different scenarios. So I think one scenario is that I have a program that I have to follow, and I'm not sure how to follow this program and still make time for independent reading. And then there's a second scenario, which is I have independent reading up and going. I have you know, devoted time for it. My administrator is completely behind it. I have the books. I'm just not sure how to make it incredibly impactful. So I think those are two different scenarios. So I am actually currently working with some schools in Connecticut who, because of state legislation, will be using a reading program next year. And um, the district actually asked me to come in specifically to make sure that they can hold on to independent reading. And so it will be interesting. So I'll be able to tell you more about it. You know, in a few months, we're just at the beginning of it. But one thing that we have thought is, even if you're within a reading program, right? Kids are reading. And once they are done doing whatever that kind of whole class basal type text is for the day, you're always gonna have kids who are finishing at different times. And what better time for them to then go do that independent reading and then you segue from that kind of whatever the whole class activity is into independent reading and then you do your conferring. Um, so that's one way that we're thinking about it is just kind of tucking it in to that. Another thing you can do if you really are under the you know, you have to do this program for X number of minutes a day. I also go back to what Kelly Gallagher says in high school, right? So he says that, right, he, he teaches high school, he has kids for 50 minutes. And so 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of every single day is independent reading. And he can do two conferences in 10 minutes. So that means as an elementary teacher, my kids have gotten 50 minutes of independent reading over the week. And I've conferred over the course of two weeks, I've conferred with almost everyone in my class. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that, you know, when you talk about finding time, hi Deborah, when you talk hey. about, you know, finding time, I, the time is there, um, it's tricky. So as I said, that's kind of one scenario. The other scenario though, is that I have independent reading up and running, but I don't feel as if it's going really well and I'm not sure what to do. So that's the work that Jen and I do a lot. I will say the, the question that I get asked the most is what do I confer about? <laughs> like how's a conference supposed to go, you know? Um, and so I think that number one, just don't be afraid to confer because people will also say, well, I walk around, I kind of check in with the kids and I'll say, you're already conferring. Right. And now what you have to do is is take that kind of checking in and make it really intentional, because if you're already checking in, you could take that five minutes of a check in and make it five really, really impactful minutes if you kind of follow this structure. Um, and then that's life changing, you know, when teachers realize the importance of being really intentional in that, uh, that how they spend their time during independent reading. So it sounds like just look for pockets and opportunities within your current schedule. Try not to fight it too much, but mm -hmm. start really small, make it easy, make mm -hmm. it really hard to not do it. 
Like yeah. the, the example of Kelly Gallagher and just we guys, we get 10 minutes just to read when you come in. What a neat way to start the class. Just a nice, soft. Right. Handing to whatever chaos is happening in the hallways. You can, you always know you have a, a quiet, safe spot mm-hmm. um, coming into Kelly's class. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I work with some teachers who also as a way of increasing the number of minutes students are reading. Um, we'll do that for like 10 minutes in the morning and then 10 minutes after lunch because we all know, right, beginning of kindergarten, first grade, five minutes is really all you might get. But if you do five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the afternoon, and that turns to 10 and 10, then you have 20 minutes. So I also have learned myself to be really flexible in thinking about time. That is to say, ideally, yes, we have this beautiful hour block where we are all sitting there and kids are hunched over their books and working with partners. I mean, that's what I had the liberty to do in my own classroom. And that's, you know, the vision. However, you know, as I said, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon adds up to 20 minutes every day. So yeah, whatever ways you can work it in, I think it's really important. And I have a third question. Um, And this kind of, this transitions to more of a leadership perspective, but and you did say in there one example you had uh, uh, leaders leaders have you come in to preserve independent reading as they transition to a a more um, commercialized resource and um, so that's one way is to pres- um, as leaders is to make decisions about how resources are spent but you make the point that teachers need to be trusted as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what specific actions can leaders take to convey that trust as well as to ensure every kid, every student's being trusted as readers in every classroom because not every teacher believes independent reading is important, even though that's the ultimate goal is we want them to transfer. We want them to take up those identities as readers. So as leaders, as like myself, we're all leaders here. What What can we do to trust teachers so they can trust students and ensure whole school accountability. Absolutely. So I am not a principal and I've never been a principal. So, you know, I would never deign to, you know, say, well, let me give you some advice, but what I can, you know, but what I can tell you is what I have noticed or what has worked um, in the buildings where I work. So I think the first thing is that leaders do need to trust teachers to make their own schedules. And I know that might sound small, but that's actually pretty huge because if teachers feel as if I must be doing, you know, reading from 10.02 to 10.31, and then I'm somehow going to be reprimanded if I'm not doing reading at 10.31, you know, that is not really setting up really great conditions uh, for the teacher. Now, I understand that there have to be parameters, right? Everyone in first grade pretty much has to be doing reading at essentially the same time because we have pull out and we have, you know, all these other things. So I totally get that. It doesn't need to be down to, you know, the minute. So I think that where you can giving teachers some wiggle room in their schedules is really important. Um, The other thing I would say that goes along with that is giving them flexibility to switch things around. That is to say, sometimes people will have a schedule where they always do reading in the morning and they always do writing in the afternoon, right? And what happens in the afternoon? We all know, right? Especially with the young kids, 
afternoon may not be so great a time. And then I'll have teachers say, oh, but I can't switch it. You know, the schedule is that way. I have to follow that. Well, why? You know, why can't you switch it? You're, you're getting to everything. Um, and so why not have writing in the morning some days and reading in the afternoon some days? So I think that people, you know, if leaders give teachers that kind of flexibility, I think that goes a long way. And then the other thing that I think is very difficult about um, being a principal and even in my role is that I think it's very tricky to balance um, curricular consistency with teacher autonomy. That is to say, yes, we need to have a consistent curriculum, right? We, our school has to have consistent values. We all think that kids need a long time to read. That has to be consistent. And at the same time, you can recognize that some teachers are gonna do it differently um, and it's not gonna look exactly the same. So this is a silly example, but I love to sing. And so in first grade, we independent reading was always preceded by shared singing of songs that were shared reading. That was me. My colleague next door is like, I am not singing. You know, she did lots of uh, shared reading of big books but we were both doing the same thing. We were both getting to all those skills and strategies. So I think, you know, that balance as said of, yes, we need to be consistent. And yes, where are places where we can give teachers autonomy? Yeah, I think um, you, you nailed it, Anna, that that's, a, that's one of the biggest challenges of leadership is balancing the curriculum coherence and the teacher autonomy. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I would, um, hand the mic over, so to speak, to Mary Beth or Deborah. If you have any thoughts on what Hannah shared here, I've been taking notes. This has been great. And I will just, I will just. Uh, oh, can you? Oh. Here we go. Yes, now we can hear you. Okay. Hear you well, you know, um, and I was thinking about what you were saying about teacher autonomy and letting teachers create their own schedules because when you're dealing like with middle school, high school, and you have that 50 minute or 40 minute, depending on what kind of um, either block or regular class period, skinny class period. Um, well, depending on the chemistry of your class, this whole working with reading is not linear. Yes, you have your routine, and you have your, you know, like um, I might have stations where I work on this, then I work on this, then I work on this. But when you're dealing with a certain chemistry of those older kids, especially if you're dealing with students who um, are um, maybe not your regular mainstream students, nothing is linear mm -hmm. you plug them into those routines but then um you might suddenly break off into somebody has an idea that they want to write like say a story based on i had a student who really got into gary paulson and he was actually a foster student and he said you know um gary paulson writes about his life and i have interesting life stories so i would like to you know he had already completed two or three books, I would like to write about 
some of my life stories. So he'd read some of the time, then he'd go off and, and start writing a story. And then other students started joining, well, I have something I can write too. And, you know, it's really interesting that year we ended up, um, I got a grant through Encourage Foundation and we put all our stories together in a book towards the end of the year. And that really meant something to these kids to the point that years later, um, you know, I had gone into Lulu Publishing and then they each got a spiral bound class story book thing. And um, I had a student come up to me and I didn't even recognize him at first because he was growing up now. And uh, I think he was a senior in high school. And he said, um, I still have my book on my dresser and I look at it every day. So you find things, you know, the stuff that you're doing in elementary creates a foundation, especially if it's as strong as what, you know, the kind of ideas that you have and what I'm seeing so far in your book. And then I get them, someone like me gets them, and you just keep that going. And, you know, if there's anything I can stress when you're talking about teacher autonomy is, yes, letting them um, realize that, okay, they're a professional, they know what to do with the chemistry of their students. And then within that framework, you can usually end up getting something pretty interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mary Beth. I think that's a, a cool story. And I, I know if I was walking through your classroom, I would, hey, that's awesome. Keep doing that. I, I am wondering why some leaders don't do that. And I, I suspect it comes back to the initial line from Reggie's Rotten's book, uh, teachers teachers need to be leaders and leaders need to know literacy. And I suspect that some leaders just don't know literacy, and that's why, you know, teacher autonomy falls apart. Um, they don't know how to see, you know, um, different pathways to the same outcome. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would open up to Deborah or Hannah, um, yeah, because you work with different schools. Um, any any words of wisdom experiences here where how a leader might build their literacy knowledge or practice, especially if they don't have a literacy background? Well, hopefully, hopefully they're joining in any professional learning opportunities that are that are at the note that's made a huge difference in the schools I've worked with is if principals believe enough in what the what the conversations are that you're having with teachers when you come in that they you know, make the time to come in and, and be part of that conversation. Um, I think that's, that's a really just, I think it's just a critical piece um, so that they're asking the questions and they're hearing the kinds of conversations their teachers are engaged in um, and within all of this. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking about, as you were talking about teacher autonomy and, um, and the, um, I don't know if you all talked about I joined, so apologize for being late. Um, about if you know, if teachers um, and principals, if you know, if they value and make sure that this is part of their day, um, that it's not the add-on. You know, independent reading is not the, it's not the extra thing that you're doing. It's the, it is the thing <laughs> that you're doing. Else builds around it. Um, and I think sort of the same thing with writing. I'm in that co same conversation with writing. It's like, this isn't an extra, um, mm -hmm. you know, independent reading, independent writing is not the extra stuff. It's the reason you're doing what you do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think that was just such a, a powerful message. And I think if, you know, as principals, you don't want to, you know, require, but at the same time, how do you balance that conversation out of just making sure that, that it, it is something that we recognize it has to be part of our day. So in the autonomy, it's like, as you know, like part of me goes, as long as they understand it's so important that you have to have independent reading and writing every day. Um, you know, but that again, I guess expectations and consistency and, and, and then the ongoing conversations. So. Yeah, I would, I agree with everything you said and specifically uh, having principals be part of the work with teachers, I think is key. Um, and when they do do that, I teach, I treat the principal just the way I would treat another teacher. So if everyone is going to go off and try a conference, you know, the principal is going to go off and try a conference. And if everyone is conferring with a partner and the partner is going to practice coaching in, then, you know, the principal is part of that. Because if they're not really doing it, how on earth are they actually going to be able to evaluate it? So another thing that I encourage principals to do is if you are doing an evaluation, again, I'm not a principal, I know nothing about evaluations, but when you are evaluating, please do not just watch the mini lesson and leave because then you're, you know, you're only looking at 10 minutes of whole class instruction. And that actually is not the most impactful part, right? Please sit down next to the teacher as she's doing a small group, sit down next to her as she's doing a one-on-one conference. You know, that's the time, write down everything she says. That's actually what I think you could then evaluate and give really helpful feedback about. But Uh so often, and I don't know if this happens to you, but often when I do come into a school for the first time, they just want to talk about mini lessons. And I actually have learned to say, actually, no. You know, let's start with matching kids and books. Let's start with getting your classroom library together. Let's start with how do you say to a child, hey, how's it going with your reading today? And then uh-huh. we can think about the mini lesson, you know, because too often we just focus on, you know, as I said, that whole class part. But really, that's not where the magic happens. And so if you can get principals to right to confer and then to do their um, evaluations or observations around while the teacher is doing that, I think those would be really helpful for leadership. That reminds me of beginning with the end in mind. I think uh, mm-hmm. let's start with where we want to be um, at the end. And I know you're not a principal, Hannah, but I think you're your ideas are spot on. Um, and I, I've been guilty of that too, of just watching teaching. And I forget that teaching happens all day long. And it doesn't mean the teachers, you know, verbally giving instructions or right on the board. So, so much of good teaching happens in that kind of those quiet spaces. And um, one thing I've tried to do too, is to um, confer with readers myself when I do visits from classrooms. Like I'll get out my notepad and I just did this with the fifth grade group talking with a student about what he was reading, a baseball book. He just had just tons of knowledge. Um, Peter Afflerback calls it epistemic beliefs or epistemology, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And just just a wide range of knowledge about baseball, about legends. Like he was able to say, well, Aaron Judge wouldn't be in this book because he's a current player. And this book talks just about legends from like 1990, 
or previous, you know, just things I wouldn't know. Right. And, uh, but if I was later on, I said, I bet I told the teacher this, the kids were gone. I said, I don't know if the student would do so well on a, a typical assessment. She's like, I know. And that's okay, I've had kind of a shared frustration. There was not a solution, right. but at least we could talk about that at a very collegial level. And it did very much did not feel like an evaluation. And I think that's what teachers really crave is just conversation and not always solutions, but uh, I appreciate this advice. And um, when you know it, we're already at 30 minutes and, um, but this has so far been a great conversation. I think what we could do is just kind of go around and um, especially with Deborah and Mary Beth, if you have any closing thoughts or questions for Hannah, I'll start with you, Mary Beth, if you have anything you'd like to close with. Okay, I think, wait. Yeah, okay, you okay. can hear me, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, as, as, a, as a teacher, I've seen it because I've been teaching long enough where I've had very supportive principals who I just felt like um, they were kind of almost the backbone of what was going on in my classroom mm -hmm. with um, just, you know, because as a teacher, you feel when you feel like the teach, like the principal is good with what you're doing, it like gives you this exhilaration and this feeling like you can take chances and be happy taking chances and look at it as a challenge instead of a fear that you're going to get slapped down. Mm -hmm. And I, so I agree with you that the principal is a very important part of that. Deborah, any closing thoughts for you? Yeah, I just, I mean, I just, yeah, I was just so enjoying reading this. And I had actually pulled it out earlier. I was doing some work with some teachers on their classroom libraries. Now thinking with, you know, a little bit of a future in mind and for the fall. Um, and um, so chapter two, you haven't read chapter two yet. I know we're on just under one, but I was just digging into chapter two um, with these teachers. But I think the... The thing that I thought was so just beautiful about the parts that, that we read for this um, was just how um, um, you, you just, that, that notion of trust, I think is just so powerful because it, it speaks to the way that we view kids and the way that we view teachers um, mm -hmm. as capable. And of course they can do this, this kind of thinking work um, and that um, it's just such a critical part of, of relationships. You know, I think about, um, you know, as a condition of learning and that principle of engagement that you have to have that trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. And without that, nothing else goes. Um, and I, you know, just Mary Beth, the way you said that about, you know, if your principal's with you, you don't fear trying things out. You know, you don't fear, you know, trying something that's not going to, you know, not going to work the way that we went at it this time. And I think that's just such a critical piece that's sometimes missing in classrooms today. Um, you know, if, if teachers come to us and say, um, how do you want it? What's it, what's the district want? What's the principal want? How does it, how's it supposed to be that, that, that ends up, you know, that's really a, a base of fear 
doesn't matter how good you are as a teacher. It's a base of fear that you're coming from. It's, it doesn't have that sense of trust that you need to, to be the, the learner that you can, can be. So I just, I'm just absolutely loving your book. Um, oh, well, thank you. I'm glad it's really useful. I'd love to know what the teachers do with their classroom libraries, you know? Oh my goodness. Kindergarten. They were so adorable. So we were trying to put the books into, you know, understanding the notion that our books are categorized, right. You know, put, putting the together together. And I took your question in there about are the books together, you know, putting the books that are together together. Right. And this one little five-year-old who's next to me, he goes, wait, it's like garbage. And I'm thinking, huh? And he goes, you put the plastic together and you put the paper together, put the, uh, the, the glass right yeah yeah Oop. yeah that's a, a perfect that's way of understanding it right and that's such a great example of right it makes sense to kids and then however you set up that library will make sense to them it's a classic student example too uh-huh yeah I might have to use that one Deborah I think where I think you're, you froze, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but was a, I think she was closing out her thoughts. And Hannah, any closing thoughts for you? Just, um, I'll just say, uh, I've used, I've read your, Deborah said chapter two, I've read that chapter twice and even have recommended it to, to teachers in my building, just as, especially if they've not been part of the culture very long. Um, I, I will say, read this chapter and this really gets to the heart of what we're trying to get to in, in our school. But um, terrific book. I agree with everyone. And yeah, any closing thoughts, Hannah? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it just makes me so happy to hear that people are using it because really, what more could you ask, right? It's like what, when we say to kids, you know, what action do you want to take after reading this book? The action might be, I want to go find another book by this author, or the action might be, right, I need to write a letter to my senator about, you know, greenhouse gases. But I'm so happy that our book can actually, you know, help people take some actions. I guess my clothing thought would be about reading identity, which we did not have a chance to discuss. So one of the things that I find frustrating about some of the current narrative around the teaching of reading is that the role of engagement and motivation and the research on engagement and motivation is being completely ignored. And so, um, you know, students are at the center of this. And I'm sorry, we just lost Deborah because she, of course, has a lot to say about engagement. Um, but, you know, that is as much a science of reading as is the science of decoding and what we need to know about phonics and phonemic awareness and phonological awareness. So I just, yeah, if you uh, want to talk more about just that piece at some point, it's just so important. And if, if teachers don't yet feel comfortable conferring, everyone can sit down and do what we call a discovery conference, which is basically saying to the child, hey, tell me about yourself as a reader. You know, and that one question just gives you so much insight and also really shows that you are trusting the student. I really want to get to know you. So that's just something that uh, I feel very passionately about is, you know, that student kind of being at the center of it and that reading identity and engagement motivation are a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, but thanks. Thanks so much for hosting. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Mary Beth. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you.
great conversation and uh, um, please read Trust Me Readers, uh, Powerful Practices for Independent Reading by Jennifer Scoggin and Hannah Schneemann through Heinemann. Terrific book and terrific conversation. Thank you. Great. Thanks so Thanks, much. Matt. Thanks, Hannah. Bye.